0: But this idea that you are song singer-songwriter and everything else is an extra is not true. So the truth isn't pretty. This is the actual advice I give to the young women, usually young women who approach me because they want to do this. It's a story I tell because it was not how it was all presented to me in the beginning.
1: Welcome to Songwriter Trists, an intimate podcast that is connecting songwriters from all over the world. I'm singer-songwriter Ray Lee. Music saved my life and I want to talk to other songwriters about the power of songwriting, talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. To support the podcast and follow our journey, you can find us on
0: songwriterTrists.com okay my name is Casey McQuillan I am a singer songwriter and I'm from a little town called Boston Massachusetts but I currently live in Brooklyn New York
1: oh wow that's a big Mm -hmm. move How, how did that come about
0: Well, you know, I went to, um, luckily enough, a a really good music college in the U.S. called Berklee College of Music. Actually, a lot of Australians go to Berklee. Um, Happens to be in Boston, where I'm from. And so I was able to go to college where I'm from, which was really great. But um, quickly after graduating, I realized that the music scene really, there's there's like four cities in the United States, in my humble opinion, that it's the easiest Mm -hmm. to to meet people. I think it's New York, LA, Nashville, and Atlanta, depending on your genre that is different where you want to go. And so Boston and New York are actually kind of close. They're only like a four hour drive. So that was my choice. So I could, I could still go home and see my mom when I want to. Um, but I love New York, so it's great.
1: Yeah. That all sounds very practical. I remember applying for a university when I was leaving home, thinking that it was the closest university to home. Um, because, it was called Latrobe, and there was like a place called Latrobe Valley near my home, but the university was actually like much further away. It just had the same name, and so I oh. made that mistake. <laughs>
0: so, Classic eighteen, right? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> D- do we Google it now? Why Google
1: no, it? No. No. Doesn't
0: matter. It makes total that's sense somebody.
1: that if it's called that, it would be there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
0: of course, that's nobody.
1: That's not my fault. I don't.
0: Think. No, I don't think so either.
1: <laughs> anyway. All right. So tell me, how did you get into songwriting? Where's that passion come from for you? When did it start?
0: Well, you know, I have been poorly writing since I was a really little kid. Like it was some—it was never something I consciously did for the first time. Mm. Um, I was always really obsessed with like lyrics and memorizing lyrics. And I remember mm-hmm. like the first song I memorized at like like four. And I was so proud. I knew all the lyrics. And then I remember memorizing my first album, like top to bottom. And it was, yeah, just like, I, it was like, I just, I really found it so fascinating. I remember being a really little kid and listening to Destiny's Child, uh, Emotion, that classic song. And I remember like literally being in my mom's minivan, listening to the song on my like cassette player and looking out the window and thinking, I can't wait until I'm old enough that I can like write songs that like are like so like deep because Amazing. I'll have to, so, and now it's so funny to listen to that song because it's so cheesy, you know, but like at the time, right. I was like, Oh my God, this is adulthood. Um, mm. <laughs> but so the first time I, I would always write these little songs and I didn't play an instrument. And I felt, I was also like dramatic and a middle child and like 11 and was always writing songs. But like, Nobody loves me. <laughs> like, right. And my parents, you know, they were, I was always up to things. So you know, they'd be like, "That's great, Casey," or whatever. Um, and I, I remember, I wrote, I, I decided I needed to learn to play the guitar. I needed to learn to how to back myself up, and so I like learned a couple chords. You know, um, I actually in had like a guitar class when I was like in the seventh grade, like one of those like little quick things, and we learned to play American Pie. Um, or I, I learned to play American Pie, but it's got like all the chords, right? And so yeah, yeah. I. I wrote at the time I was going through my grandfather, who I was very close with, happened to be passing away. He was old and these things happened, Mm -hmm. but it was very sad at the time. And I wrote my first song about that to the guitar and performed it for people for the first time. And in some ways it's very indicative of my entire career because I feel like I've used songwriting. I'm a pretty happy person. I like to think Um, a lot of my songs are really sad. And I yeah, think right. that's because I tend to try to figure out my own thoughts and feelings mm. and, like, put them on paper. And if I can put them on paper, I can understand them. And mm. additionally, I feel so seen. I was just thinking about how this moment on tour. It's funny, but today I was getting – I was in the chiropractor, and they were, like, put – so I was, like, meditating, just laying there. But yeah. I was thinking about this moment on stage that I had recently. And I was thinking it was probably one of the best moments in my life. Yeah. and i think it's because i felt so unbelievably connected to all the people in the room mm. and for me that's always been the point of songwriting it was when i was 11 and wrote a song about my grandfather and was trying to express myself and those emotions and it it is now
1: that's incredible it's such a therapeutic thing that i think we intuitively do i did the same thing like as a kid you don't you don't know what you're doing it's just it's an emotive process that your body just takes you down this journey of of writing songs how do you think that that's impacted your mental health and your way of just like living in life? Because for me I feel like if I – and actually I've had every therapist told me that if I didn't have music I'd probably be dead or addicted to, oh, addicted to drugs no. or something because it's been such a, a good therapy and you've got to have a way to get it out, right? So like, how, how has it impacted you? Have you done much reflection on your, your life as a songwriter and how it's been that emotional outlet?
0: Well, it's so interesting to think about. I think about these. That's why I'm a songwriter. I think about these things all the time. But, you know, it's funny because am I very comfortable expressing emotion because I'm a songwriter? Or am I a songwriter because I'm so comfortable expressing emotion? Right? This is something I Mm. I recently – my title track on my album, not to plug myself really hard really quickly, but it's a song called Skinny that I wrote about not being thin anymore and the – how uncomfortable I can be sometimes. And it's a song truly about my moments of the deepest insecurities that I have, not the Mm. moments where I put on, put on dress today. And I was like, this looks good. What am I talking about? Like I have those moments too, but I tend not to write about those because I find the ones where I'm hiding from myself so much more interesting. Mm. And I was talking to my sister and I was saying that all these people on this big tour I was on, You know, were coming up to me, girls that look like me, women who look like me and were a lot older, saying that it was, like, the first time they'd ever vocalized it. You know, men who were, like, crying next to their wives, being like, I feel like I understand my wife a lot better, having heard that song. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. But it's funny, Mm. because I said to my sister, I was like, it's just, like, don't we we, if you're, if we have these insecurities, we all think about it all the time. And she's like, no, like other people have the insecurity and like, don't necessarily like sit there and think about it. Like think, how how would I put that into words? And, and she's like, that's a very uniquely you thing. And she's, and, and, And she's like, you're like that in all of your life. And it was really interesting because I had never thought about it that way, that like Mm. the same reason I'll go to a friend really quickly and be like, hey, you know, I was feeling really uncomfortable at the party last weekend. And like, this is probably a me thing, but I did not want to, I just wanted to talk to you about it because I'm feeling weird. That instinct to do that is also the same person who's like, wow, I like was so sad at the bar last night. Like, I think it's not because the music was loud. I think it's because I was feeling insecure about my body. And like, that's the same. So I think I likely have a pretty natural inclination to that. But I think but through the act of consciously songwriting all the time, it's led me to have like a positive reward to engaging in negative, like an immediate positive reward to engaging in negative or analyzing my negative thoughts and really like weeding them out. Whereas I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people... There is, I think, a lot of positivity that can come from that. But it usually is months down the road that you get that relief or you have that mm. conversation with somebody. But for us, right, we can kind of do that on our own a little bit. And you have this product that you're really proud of. And what's interesting about writing about your insecurities is then you go on stage and introduce yourself through pe- to people through your insecurities, which is mm. something that I – it makes, as I was saying, I felt like I had literally, I was thinking it was probably the best moment of my life on stage yeah. in yeah. Europe, but I was singing songs about how, about like that, that insecurity that's still very fresh for me. And yeah. so that's right. It's like with, with truth comes connection, but it doesn't, Absolutely. it's not always easy, you know?
1: Oh, truth is like the hardest thing. Like I know that people downplay like country music when they say three chords and mm-hmm. the truth or things like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the truth is the hardest thing that most of us are running away from, that we all put these masks on. Um, and I, I love I love that, like that vulnerability and that bravery and courage to stand up and say, yeah, I'm insecure, you know, like that because I think we all are, especially as women. I don't know how any female – could not be insecure in the the Western world that we live in with the amount of advertising and everything that they're trying to sell to us, they sell to us via making us more insecure about the way we look and that, you know, by having their product, (laughs) those insecurities might magically go away, which they don't, of course, but we all (laughs) buy into it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we we all do,
0: myself included.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, I'll definitely – I was never a big fashion person or makeup person growing up. I grew up in the country on a farm. No one cares about what I was wearing or anything like that until I went to the city and I'm around it all the time. I'm at university Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I actually feel kind of good when I wear makeup. And, like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it to to do it. But um, it's also something that I feel like, like you said, we take it and we we feel it and we go, oh, that doesn't feel good. Let's just push that down (laughs) and, like, not talk about it or pretend like, I don't have that and just put on this like fake confidence um, and, you know, fake it till you make it. But then there's a, there's a poisonous, toxic, emotional thing that I think that happens when we do that. Um, and like I think that's amazing that through your music other people have been given the words to, to maybe let it out, you know. Do you feel like that's been like that?
0: Yes, which is really, um, you know, I feel like people use the word like it's humbling and they just mean that they're like bragging. Do you know when people do? They're like, <laughs> I'm so humbled to have won this Grammy. And you're like, oh, are you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or pr- you pretty Jess?" You'd
1: be proud of yourself.
0: That's but okay. uh, yeah, they said they mean proud. But I think when I say that it is really a, an incredibly humbling experience to have people emotionally be long-term affected by something I've created... I mean that as in the sense that like, I don't understand it. Like it's so much something I say to my therapist all the time. It's like, I feel, <laughs> sometimes I feel like an artist poser. Like I feel like I'm not artisty enough for being yeah. an artist because i'm not like oh my god like i don't have like like music notes just like tattooed coming out of my <laughs> eyes and like you know i went to berkeley like i know yeah, all yeah. the people who like and it's for a lot of those people it's authentic like they live and breathe music there they know every person who did everything and every first and i was not raised in a musical household yeah. um we listen to james taylor sometimes and in the in the top 40 radio that was it I really discovered music on my own. And I, I discovered it through the lens of songwriting and then like enjoying songwriting. It's always been about the story for me more than it. the music for me in a way. Though I, one, of my, one of my lines is that, you know, um, a great melody with bad lyrics is, is a hit. And, <laughs> and, and a great, great lyrics with a bad melody is just a poem. Yeah, <laughs> so like we're in the business of songwriting, and melody is super important and helping engage yeah. people. But for me, the melody is always about keeping people engaged with the story. And I'm not; it doesn't mm. have to be dark. I, my my new album, there's a lot of like upbeat things that I feel are very authentic and, and true. Mm. Um, but I've never felt artsy enough to call myself an artist. And it's funny mm. because I I was describing probably the pressure of having written this song skinny and how painful it was to sing it for people. And it is a lot when you meet people who are kind of like having an emotional experience based on, Mm. and they want to, they want to connect with you after a show. And maybe you're not, you, the person aren't in a space where you feel like you can take that in, but Mm. you, the artist has to. Mm. And I said to him like he said something like yeah that's what that's what artists do is they like they 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 make they make emotional paths for us to go down and I was like I'm not yeah. an artist and he um. was like what? Yeah, <laughs> how? <laughs> well, but right, but like, but, like yeah. I like, you know, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting about like how we see ourselves. Right. And so yeah. I write my songs because I am sad and I write them. And then yeah. we, as a team are like, okay, well, how are we going to work at this? Right. But like when I'm yeah. sitting there writing it, I'm not being like, oh, some woman in Wales is just going to cry her mascara off listening to this. Like, I don't yeah. believe it that way. yeah um So it's so crazy when that's, what it ends up being.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that you love what you do and Mm -hmm. that you love the song. And then if anyone else likes it, well, that's just a bonus. Like, you know, if you're releasing something because you think people will like it, but you don't necessarily like it, (laughs) Well, if other people don't like it, you're like, well, that was a waste of time. (laughs) Mm. Whereas if you love it, then it doesn't really matter if anyone else likes it or connects to it. Someone in the world will if they hear it. Um, And it may not be straight away. It may be, you know, 30 years from now, you hear of that these days, songs from 30 years ago and like, coming up. I, and
0: like, You know that song is like, if I knew God, I'm going to deal God. That song that's going yeah. on TikTok. It's number yeah. six on the pop charts in the US right now. It came out in the 80s. It's yeah. crazy. Like, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I was really, I felt old because I got to push this TikTok that was like the top uh, 10 pop songs, like pop dance songs. And I literally knew two of them. I was like, really oh, I've never
1: heard these. Uh, see, I, I, get to pretend like I'm not too old because I was sheltered and I was only allowed to listen to like secular Christian music when I was a kid. So.
0: Well, you probably have a great ear for Melody I'm just then. naive. Yeah. <laughs> because secular Christians, man, talk about using Melody to, uh, make sure that there is an emotional, the desired emotional impact. And so you grow up, up, oh yeah, there's whole books on that. I'm on on the side of TikTok that like kind of breaks down how music has such a strong hold over people emotionally Mm. that it could be considered manipulative to use it in certain settings. That when somebody is, that you are, there's an aspect of it that you know, could be could be dangerous, but that you know, it's it's a really thin line because every every culture ever uses music as part of their religious practice. But we are yep. becoming, we're getting certain sects are becoming so scientific with it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and it's interesting because I feel like we all know all the all the musicians. We know people who play in these bands, yeah. and it's very conscious the choices that they make in order well, to. We,
1: they do it in filmmaking as
0: well, you know, yes. like jaws.
1: Like I mean, it just. Right. It's it's very much obviously but a tool. Yeah. But
0: it's like, you know, you could say I would say like if you were to make like a documentary that you yep. were trying to get people to change their political beliefs coming out of it and you use music that's mm. a form of manipulation, right? But yeah, if absolutely. you are having a religious ceremony and you're trying to get people to commit to the religious and you use music on birth, it's like it goes the whole thing, but when you're try it it is really interesting as musicians like what is it's like we have this superpower <laughs> to yeah create an emotional response in people that they think is coming from just inside themselves, but it's not right. It's coming from outside them. It's coming from us and we are choosing things on purpose to elicit that emotional response. And so I think if you tell somebody this emotion, it's, it's all you, this is yeah. all you. That just that just spoke through you. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? We knew if you use the happy chord here and a sad chord here and a crescendo here. It's, someone's gonna cry. That's how it works. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're like like we said before that you know uh, advertising and things like that you know mm-hmm. manipulate and. and at perfect example, you know, you got a, a Coca-Cola ad with people dancing on in skinny bikinis on a rooftop somewhere. <laughs> you 100%. Think, if I have a Coke, that's what I'm going to feel like. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's all the music as well. Like the music is so important in that, that manipulation. Um, and yet you're right. It's not something that maybe a lot of people are aware of. And so they're not making conscious decisions. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, interesting because there is a lot of debate around um abuse with people in authority and authority comes from knowledge and lack mm. of knowledge is when you're vulnerable
0: yeah so, yeah and I think interesting music, debate I, I know but I think music has more of a role in that than we sometimes consciously speak about you know mm. the role yeah in ads I mean it's so true I was just writing some sync stuff with some friends and I was like so my image for this is there's like a woman walking down Harlem, but it's not actually Harlem, it's really clean. And there's like pretty like flags and she's got like an at af- like an afro and she's like cool and she's selling AirPods. And they're like, cool, got it. And they knew it, and like, and I was like, that's the commercial. And I was like, that's not a real commercial that I know of, but like we all know what that commercial would sound like in order yeah. to sell that product. And yeah. it's interesting that I used visuals and a goal, which is to sell AirPods to describe mm. the kind
1: of sound that I wanted to make yeah it's um so incredible and we haven't actually talked about that as a thing in this podcast like so many podcasts in but it's interesting that um I think it's important that we're aware of it as songwriters and and melody like you said some people don't they kind of offset melody like some people are melody people I'm a melody person some people are lyricists that's that's fine and that's great when they come together and they make great music but I find that there are people that also when they're listening to a song, they're only really hearing the melody first and then if they re-listen to it multiple, like lots and lots and lots of times, then they might pick up on the story. And then there's people who like like me, I actually, when I'm listening to a song, I hate it when I can't hear the lyrics. Like I want to hear the story. What is this song telling me? Because I want to be able to make a conscious decision as to whether I want that story, mm. like if I, if I agree with it or not, um, and that message, you know, I want to support, good art that's sending out good messages um, and sometimes I listen to a lyrics of a song and I feel like it's more maybe encouraging suicidal behaviour in youth and I'm like, I don't want to support that so let's right. not, you know. So right. it's, it, it, it is, it's very powerful and and we can manipulate different ages through that so it's interesting but it's also important to be aware of.
0: Very yeah, cool. like something, something I say with my music is that, you know, my goal is to be catchy enough that you i come on your release radar and you're like oh that's a pretty song and you save it but Mm. then on your you do that you know you're at work and you're like listening to your friday release radar and you're like oh my god that was i like that and you do that kind of like unconscious conscious thing where you go and you save the song because you like liked it and Mm. then my goal I have to bat. I have to pass that threshold. I have to catch you when you hear it, when you're in the grocery store and it comes on, you know, I just got a message from somebody who was like scrolling channels and saw my music video on, and like the MTV channel that, cause it just got placed, which is great. Yay. And she said like it stopped her in her tracks and then she went and found it and listened to all thing, which is like so amazing. But that's the goal, right? Is like you have something that's beautiful enough that it catches you. And then mm. when you're on the ride home, and you go to listen to those songs you say that day, that's when I hope to become your favorite song. Yeah. Cause I'm gonna become a song, I'm gonna become a song you like through melody. I'm gonna become yeah. your favorite song through lyrics.
1: I like that. That's really mm-hmm. really well thought out. Cool.
0: So <laughs> what- <laughs> talk about manipulative <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, no, I like it. You've got to do what you've got to do and you've got such a powerful message. So tell me about why it was that you felt with this album and the tour that you've just done, what's the backstory or what made it so important that this is what you wanted to choose? Because we do all – like we could pick anything, right? Um, what's, what's the heartbreaking moment for this?
0: Um, and you mean in, in terms of writing this album?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like you've talked a little bit about insecurities and, and touching people in that way but what's, what's your – journey to this point? You know, this album
0: was written over a really long period of time. It was actually going to be an EP that was about to be dropped right before the pandemic. And for obvious reasons, I pulled it to not drop. Mm. And then throughout the pandemic, I kept writing and I kept producing. You know, we all figured out how to write via Zoom. We all figured out how to produce over uh, all the fancy apps that they have now. And um, I figured out how to record my own vocals. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) As did everyone else. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the album grew from a EP into an album in that time. And funnily enough, actually, most of the songs that I added during the pandemic were the happiest ones. I was writing and I just didn't want to write about it was escapism. It was a form of escapism. I didn't I wasn't ready to analyze what I was experiencing. My therapist says that you mm. can do two things. You can recover for trauma or you can survive trauma, but you can't do them at the same time. Yeah. And so when you're having a traumatic experience, which all of us did during mm. COVID, you, it is totally normal to feel like you have no feelings. That's why I would be like, I don't have any feelings. And it's like, that's a trauma mm. response, right? And so I feel like I was engaging in a type of escapism. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I feel like through the songwriting, I was co-writing a lot via zoom and i was using songwriting as like an escapism and some of the songs i can tell you which ones i added but i have a song um i have a song called how love begins which my my friend describes yeah. she says she listens to it and she just feels like she's at like a rooftop party and like the balloons just fell from the sky as we're dancing, like she's like "That's yeah, what it's i want very your fun music song. you know me? i like and that one. That song is about, you know, falling in love in the city. And and I'd written that story, you know, started it, and that's the song I reengaged with during the pandemic to finish it up. And then a song called Taste that I wrote with a friend of mine. You can tell him in the pandemic because it starts about it's like about partying and traveling. Like the two things <laughs> I miss so much. But you know, it was a song, it's it's total escapism. I wasn't able to travel and I wasn't able to party at that time. Mm. But obviously, pulled on source material from from my life and my history and wrote that song and Um, you know, I, I did the duet that I wrote. I wrote the song in and out which ended up being a duet with the artist named John McLaughlin during that time. Um, and it was all these projects that were a little bit different than me sitting in my room, being sad, writing songs on the the guitar. Um, and so for me, the album is just, I really try to embrace letting myself, write what I wanted to write. And if you'll notice in the album, it's also produced however we wanted to produce it. There, this album has like four genres in it, all under the pop category, but pop country, pop rock, pop, like pop uh, uh, singer songwriter, uh, pop. Yeah. Like all kinds of stuff, pop dance, all kinds of stuff. And I decided to have enough faith that One, I wanted to produce out each song as that song should be produced. I didn't want to taint Bourbon, which is a country song, by trying to make it fit into a dance album. It just doesn't work. And I, I wrote all the songs. I sang all the songs. My producer, Charles produced all the songs. We had, uh, we had one mixing engineer. I had enough faith that the album would sound cohesive because it came from me and my producer. It, you know, because I didn't go to various producers and various co I only co-wrote a couple songs and it was with the same person. The song, I think the album feels like me because, in that sense. And so, yeah. for a debut album, it's kind of interesting because I feel like it's all my favorite stuff that I've done. Yeah. And I'm trying to have enough faith in the listener that they're buying this album, engaging with this album uh, because of the songwriting and the vocals and the production. And that. And you. Yeah. And yeah, hopefully, you know, that you found <laughs> it because you like country and this was on a country playlist on Spotify. Yeah. But the songs that are rock pop. Sounds similar. There, it's. I wrote them,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, there is. You've done a really good job, it's and that they, they flow really nicely, even though they all have different vibes. And like you said, they definitely can fit into different sections. It's all got you, and and there is. It's thank you, similar enough that, um, I don't think you need to worry too much about and I hate John. Well, Adele gave boxing,
0: <laughs> Adele. I know it's so boring. Adele gave yeah. us all a real help by saying you can't shuffle albums anymore. The best, you know, how like she just did – because th- my al- we worked very hard on the song flow of that album to yeah. make it feel good because if you were to sh- – it's not a shuffle album. It, it doesn't work as a shuffle. It doesn't work album. that way.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really <laughs> good point and I, I love what you've done and I think that, um, yeah, you've got to have faith in the listener that they're listening to it because they've connected to something that you've done and they're going to get to go on that emotional flow and that you you people don't fit in a box, you know, like – you are you. I said to someone the other day, I said, I wish that they just had two genres, country and not country. So you just, <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know how many times, and like, even that just people, there's so many different opinions on what is what, um, that I, 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 give, know. Up. I give up. <laughs> I'm trying to fit it. All right. So we're, we're down to our last 10 minutes. I want to ask you, what is the best advice that you've ever been given in this industry as, as a singer songwriter?
0: Ooh, do you want my pretty answer? Or do you want my real answer? I,
1: I always have? want the truth.
0: So, the truth isn't pretty.
1: That's okay. This is
0: the actual advice I give to the young women, usually young women, who approach me because they want to do this. It's a story okay. I tell because it was not how it was all presented to me in the beginning. Mm hmm and was the hardest thing for me to kind of come to terms with. So when I was just, just graduated Berkeley, or was just finishing up at Berkeley, I can't remember, mm-hmm. but I had a big meeting with a big publicity agent person in New York and I got on the train, and I came to drink with my mom and I got in the room and, and these people, you know, they were, they were trying to help me. This is what's interesting. They're trying to help me, right? Mm-hmm. And I came in the room, I'm 22, and we're in a room like of whiteboards, right? And so they've got these categories and we're going to fill the categories out, but they've got the categories listed and the categories were songwriting voice looks money. And I walked in and I said, what are these? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he said, these are your assets. And I said, well, like looks and songwriting. It's not the same. That's not mm. the same level of asset. And he looked right at me and he goes, if we're going to continue with this meeting, the first thing you need to accept is that your looks are just as important, if not more important than your music. He goes, cause I'm just going to work with what you got. He goes, you're really good. Uh, we're learning. You're really good in live interviews. So we're going to pitch mm-hmm. you to talk to people. If I sucked at talking to people, my publicist would not have reached out to you, right? You would have gone <laughs> yeah. a different way. If I was model beautiful, he said, if you were more beautiful, I'd be pitching you to try, let's get the modeling going so we can try to get you in the room. He said, you are beautiful enough. So we're going to pitch this, this, and this. You have financing. So we're going to do tour buy-ons. We have the money to do this, do this. And he goes, but this idea that you are song singer songwriter and everything else is an extra is not true. You are all of these things. And if you're not comfortable selling all of it, you can't professionally sell some of it. It doesn't work that way. And it was, I was very offended (laughs) (laughs) and upset and I felt like objectified and I didn't, I Mm. was, it was a very harsh, this guy had a pretty harsh style. I think I would have, it's like this is somebody differently. <laughs> we've been talking right about how I wrote the song skinny and it's, it's an actual insecurity I have. And, and sometimes people have had this thing, but then they come up to me, but my mom actually just said something to me in the dressing room that made me feel insecure that night at that show. And then they compliment my mom on raising such a woke daughter. And then I'm like, well, she just said this to me. And like you, I'm the person yeah. and the songwriter. And the artist and his point was I wrote the song skinny and therefore that song only makes sense because I'm, I am a mid-sized person, Mm -hmm. but it's also more palatable because I'm a pretty mid-sized person. Mm. And then, and and, and that's, that's, that's the icky, ugly, difficult, forever upsetting aspect of this industry. Mm. I, something I've said to my team before is you can't love how authentic I am and then hate the consequences of that authenticity. Mm -hmm. They come together. When I sing about mental health issues and we love how great that is, I have a mental health illness and sometimes it makes it very difficult for me to do things. Those things go hand in hand. And so that is the best advice I ever got was if you can't come to accept that you're not allowed to just write the song skinny in a vacuum. You have to write it and then, and then be the mid sized person. I thought about this. What if I lose weight? Am I, can I still sing skinny?
1: Mm. What
0: if I lose 50 pounds? How do we handle the song, the title album track of my song? Because if, if it was separate, then it wouldn't be a problem, but people mm. don't separate the art from the artist. So I think if I, if I lost 50 pounds, it would become difficult to sing the song skinny. Well, I mean, Social.
1: Adele had that sort of a lot of backlash when she lost weight, um, and I, I, I'm, I've always been sporty, and I have a sister who's always been overweight, mm-hmm. and we love each other, and there's always been like a little bit of like that openness where we can talk about it. Great. I've I've always and it, maybe it's body dysmorphia, but I've never felt skinny. I've never felt attractive, but my whole life I've had desire, I've had attention from men, all this mm-hmm. stuff, and it's it's something that. Um, you know, as an artist, you get projected on a lot. You're just pretty, or you're too pretty. I get that a lot, and it's like, but I don't feel that. I don't say that about myself, and yet yeah. I'm not. I'm, and I have to have confidence, and I'm not allowed to be insecure about my body <laughs> because because so many people project their own insecurities onto me. It's like I have just as many insecurities as everyone else. Um, so I think it is. It's an interesting thing that we judge each other so much, and I sometimes just wish we could just love and accept each other, no, ma- no matter what the size. You know, we are human, aren't we?
0: But yeah, it's, well, it's, it's interesting. I was just, I just posted about this. I was on a different podcast and a woman mm-hmm. was talking about, you know, I was trying to explain what if I'm at the point now where I'm starting to buy clothing, I, sometimes buy clothing for the plus-size section, sometimes buy clothing. this why the internet has like dubbed mid-size. It's like you're in the middle. Like I... I technically fit into standard clothing, but it doesn't really fit me because it's not actually yes. designed for me. But then plus size clothing isn't really designed for me either. I'm not big enough. Mm. And there's a question about, like I wrote this song, Skinny. To your point, I still benefit from so many aspects of society's understanding of what an attractive person is.
1: And I 100% agree with you when you're being an artist and vulnerable, you've got to...
0: Well, it's also like, it's just, it's mm. your it's what, it's what you've got the foot in the door. Like though, that was my list. Right. But somebody else's list, you might be an amazing guitarist. And so they're like, okay, we're going to do a guitar workshop. You know, you might like, it's, and then some of it gets ickier, you know, so-and-so. So so you should hang out with that person more to try to get co-writes. Like this, Mm. there's, there's a, there's a reason that a lot of people in Hollywood know each other, you know, it's like, People work with the people that they know. Um, I just think it's really misleading this idea that the best people, the literal most talented people, are the people who are famous.
1: Yes, I do not no, think works. that that's
0: true. No, <laughs> I think the that, nicest people, maybe. <laughs> or yes, <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> that's one. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. but I think you know. Talent. What was important in that meeting and what I guess maybe I didn't, I didn't, what he really stressed was like, I care as much about you being talented as I care about you being pretty. It's something I can use. He's like, I, I look at the fact that you can actually sing live that it's not autotune. It's an asset. But, but like, I, that's, it's also an asset that I can put you in front of a camera. It's also an asset that you're good at talking to people. It's, but like an asset I don't have, I can't dance. Like maybe there would be a whole avenue we would do if I could, if I could dance, you know, if, um, if I was really comfortable on social media, like, you know, right now, you know, the main, the main thing that decides whether a model gets signed isn't their looks, it's their social media following. Yeah. So like. Models, you would think, have the most black and white understanding, but yet Gigi Hadid, Bella Hadid, and Kendall Jenner are the three biggest supermodels in the world. Yeah. And all of them come from famous families. Yeah. And so not every girl from a famous family is a model. Those three women happen to be incredibly beautiful, talented, hardworking women. Mm. But there are a lot of beautiful, talented, hardworking women. And so it was was a piece of their whiteboard Mm. that their mother was a supermodel Mm. and that their father was a billionaire Mm. and that that opened a lot of conversations. They started at mile 25 of a, of a marathon Mm. and you got to be a runner, right? You got to be a runner. they are a runner, but it's not, it's even in what you would think is the most black and white industry, which is like, who's the prettiest. Mm. It's more complicated than that because And so that's something I think that doesn't get talked about enough. We're not honest enough about how much money, connections, looks, who you know um, is equally as important Mm. as the quality of your songs. I would say songwriting is unique in that, listen, there's some horrible songs on the radio, let's be honest. But great music does have a way of sticking out. Mm. Um, I think there's, I think as somebody who was on one of those singing shows, mm. amazing singers are a dime a dozen. I'm not talking about the world's best singers. Ariana Grande is not dime a dozen, mm-hmm. but people like me are a dime a dozen. You could throw a rock in New York City and hit somebody as good at singing as <laughs> me. <laughs> but songwriting is unique, right? In that if you, if people connect with your storytelling, mm. I do think it'll pop out in a way that. it's a a lot harder for a voice or a face to pop out.
1: Well, you have to be willing, I think in my opinion, you have to be willing in that authenticity to share vulnerably the darkest parts of who you are. And that, like we talked about earlier, is is my idea of what an artist is. Because when you do that, you're saying, hey, judge me, project all of your insecurities and all your crap onto me. I got this. And to, to be able to do that, you have to have a very... High level of um, emotional intelligence and ability to understand that you're not what anyone say, says about you. Like, pe- mm. people will say you're the most beautiful person in the world, and someone else will say you're the ugliest person they've ever seen. Like, it's all sometimes it's the same
0: person from two yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: it's your publicist is trying to start like some sort of chatter.
0: But, um, <laughs> current, by the way, this is not my current publicist. This is somebody from 10 years ago. I, want to, I want to laugh. I was, also, it's funny that it's this this example of somebody being, you know, maybe rather harsh. Mm. I went to four years at Berkeley. I was, mm. in the, I was I was a songwriting major and a music business major. Mm-hmm. No one had ever pointed out how important independent financing was. Mm. No one had ever pointed out how important it was to look at your marketing strategy from all angles and all availability to you. It was implied. It it was behind the scenes, but I, I'm, I'm a little naive when it comes to things like that. And so I had never thought about it directly. Mm. Um, I think Berkeley needs to be a lot meaner (laughs) (laughs) to people about
1: the business side,
0: about how like the business is ugly. So something I, this is my I have, I, I came up, come up with all these metaphors to right. try to explain this industry because almost everybody I know isn't a musician, right? Mm-hmm. Almost everybody I know is like Casey's still doing this. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really fascinating to me having been in this industry for so long, I kind of forget how other people see it, mm. but imagine your songs are like a coffee bean you grow in your backyard. Right. Mm-hmm you've got this great coffee bean. It's like really good. It's up there with the best coffee beans. You think some people might even think it's the best coffee bean, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, oh my God, this is so great. And so then you do a little stand outside of your house and you say, I have the best coffee bean. Yeah. And then Starbucks like keeps selling more coffee than you. Yeah, And everyone's like, that's crazy. Your bean's so great. Just keep standing in front of your house with your bean. I'm sure people will realize that it's better than Starbucks. And you go, well, is Starbucks the best coffee bean or is Starbucks the best at marketing coffee? Mm. And trying to explain what a tour buy-on is to people. So this is like a part of the industry that is this unsaid thing. I have no idea what but a you, tour buy-on is. Yeah. No. <laughs> so this is something I don't know if I'm like not supposed to tell people. I don't know. <laughs>
1: You can tell me. I can cut it out later if you like. It'll just be between us.
0: You know, again, uh, this is my problem. I, I, everyone's like, I, I go on, I go on podcasts, and then I forget there's like people listening. <laughs> but it, it's true, and it's. We, we apply this morality to the business of art mm. that we don't hold standard against other forms of business. And it, it, it hurts the artists because the artists then feel guilty when they're like posting TikToks and using the algorithm mm. like, oh, a seven second TikTok. Am I being like fake? Am I not a real artist? It's like, this is the game, baby. The game. Do you want to stand in front of your Starbucks stand outside of your house? And so tour buy this, I'll explain it with the Starbucks seed first. Okay. Because this is the best way. This is my yeah. kind of. I, my coffee bean analogy has just been growing as the years go on. No pun intended.
1: I love coffee, so it's fine.
0: Um, me too. But yeah, it's coffee time for you. It's not coffee time for me yeah, here. No.
1: Um, I'm going to get one after and,
0: this. And I'm realizing it's like winter where you are, which is the star. It's freezing. I'm like in mean like my bedroom
1: <laughs> and it's like jacket and blankets. And
0: <laughs> it's 100 degrees outside. Um, I, w- I so, want to come to New
1: York. We should have done it live.
0: Yeah, we'll do a house swap. <laughs> okay. I love it. Uh, um, <laughs> um, but so you're growing this coffee bean. You've got this great coffee bean. And you know it's like a really good coffee bean. It might be like as good of Starbucks coffee bean, and some people might prefer it. So you walk into Starbucks, and you say, i got a great idea. You should put me on your counter, and before anybody buys yours, they have to buy mine. So they have to sit mine and taste my coffee before they can get to your coffee that they know they like, and, and Starbucks goes, um, "Okay, like so we we own this coffee bean now. You want to give us this coffee bean? Oh, no, no, it's my coffee bean. But you don't understand. It's really, really good. Your your uh, customers will love it. Well, if my customers love your coffee bean, why would I want to introduce them to a coffee bean?" That they might like more than my coffee bean. Mm. So you're saying I built all these stores. I took out all these ads. I, I invested in this take case in Starbucks billions of dollars building a global empire, brand, every single thing. And you think just because you have a good coffee bean that you should be on my counter and everyone should be required to taste your coffee before you have my coffee bean? And then I don't own that coffee bean. You just, and it goes, no, but I thought you loved coffee. Mm. Don't you love coffee? Isn't this about the coffee? Nope. Now let's talk about tour. Mm -hmm. You write a great song. You have a great album. You go to an artist who has spent millions of dollars, years and years and years and years of their lives,
1: Mm.
0: building a fan base through their music, that will walk through those doors, buy that ticket, buy that glass of wine, and watch that show. And you go to that artist and you say, but I have a great album. You should make everyone listen to my album before your album. Well, do I, is it my song now? Well, no, it's my song. Well, why would I do that? Don't you love the music? Once you've contrasted it with any other business, Mm. it doesn't make any sense that doing that would be free mm. but I went over to this James Morrison tour and I have a bunch of British cousins yeah and they literally were like so you're like are you you must your friend how did you how do you know how long have you known James <laughs> and I had not started the tour yet and I was like what do you mean and they're like well you must know him how, how else would an American book this yeah and I was like, they sold, I was the best out of the people that could afford the price. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't the best. I was the best out of the massive pile of people that were more than willing to pay. Yeah. So when people, if you want to put your coffee bean on Starbucks's counter. Yeah. You got to pay and with out of there. All the infrastructure. You've got to compensate Starbucks for all of their time and money and investment, either mm-hmm. with a, 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 a rented space. You can rent part of that counter for a certain amount of time.
1: Yep.
0: Or, well, I actually already have a lot of people that love my coffee. Mm. They'll come in and buy the coffee from you if it's on your counter. Yeah. Those are the two ways it makes sense. Yeah. So in Europe, I don't have a fan base. Obviously, the first tour I did in Europe was a buy-on. Yeah. Not all tours are buy-ons, but if the it is an unknown artist opening for a known artist, it is always That's a sweet. buy-on yeah and what's so crazy to me is like, I feel like it's very important that I am honest about that is how this is happening mm. because I have friends who are just as talented than me who do not do this yeah and I beat out thousands of other girls yeah who have that money to do that yeah but not everybody yeah. it's different that's like there are people with TikTok followings that get a larger fan base more quickly because they're very good looking. Mm. That happens too, right? The, tick, the, tick, the best dancers aren't the people with the most followers on TikTok. They're the people who dance well and are very conventionally attractive. Yep. We, it is insulting. I find this, my therapist will find this interesting to uh, <laughs> talk to you about this. But I don't ever want to, <laughs> I don't ever want to imply that, that part of the whiteboard, which was financing, wasn't relevant in my team's decision to go after buy-ons yeah. in, in in areas where I have no fan base. So in in Boston, I headlined. Like, I'm from Boston. I headlined, right? And so yeah. I was played this show, and this young woman was, had so much um, gumption, and she bitched out to me and was like, do you have an opener yet? And I was like, you know, I don't have an opener. Like, good on you. And I thought to myself, she was a Berkeley girl. It was a one-off show. Mm. I didn't bring up a buy-on. I don't, I didn't, this was a very unique time experience in the industry where I saw so much of myself in her that I decided I'm not going to like make this young student Venmo me the value of this on the open market. Like I can absorb, I want this girl to come. My family and friends will love it. It'll be great. Right. Yeah. And so she did a great job, it had the world's most attentive audience because it was people who <laughs> are family and friends with the singer-songwriter. So there wasn't a keep
1: <laughs> <That's nice. laughs>
0: from during the oh, every everyone was there on time. The t- I sent them like the tickets to people being like, be on time for this li- this girl. Like mm-hmm. no one's gonna be late for her. Cause I'm the I'm the perpetual opener, right? So when I headline, everyone treats the opener very well. Yep. And she messaged me a little while later on Instagram being like, Hey, so like I asked the venue about payment and they said to reach out to you as in for her to get paid. Yeah. And it's funny because some people that work for me were like, Oh my God, what did you tell her? Like, as in like, did you tell her to go take a hike? Yeah. And what I said was again, probably cause I saw much, so much of myself in her. I was like, no, I look at that as Berkeley's failing. How is this girl who's a senior at Berkeley mm. reaching out? And, you know, I know it's some out of touch professor who was like, you just need to go female power and you just need to go be like, I deserve to get paid. And it's like, no, 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 no. you have no concept of how this industry works. And so I sent her a lot. I took a lot of time and I sent her a long message that was like, hey, I didn't know this until I like got to New York and got the sense slapped into me of how this works. Yeah. This is Berkeley's fault that you don't know this, but actually normally you pay for a buy-on. This is how much I've paid to do X shows that you saw me doing. Mm. Um, I really liked you and this was a one-off show. And so I didn't bring, I didn't bring it up, but I assume because you didn't bring up getting paid, you understood
1: you would, that I was, that I was,
0: I was giving you exposure for free. Yeah. And it's, it's so ugly. Like what an ugly thing. But the truth is, is like, it was a very inexpensive way for that young woman to learn that that's how the industry works. Yeah. What because a good life lesson. A, yeah. And it like is awkward. You know what I mean? I, I, it should have come from a professor or a friend or a manager. It shouldn't have, you know, but music business one hundred and one. But I have a degree in music business and no one told me. That's so true. So, yeah. I think that's the hardest part about this industry is like we write our little song, eggs. And then it's a business. Yeah. We grow our coffee beans in the backyard. We make, we brew our coffee in our coffee pot Mm. and we say, okay, I've got to go sell this coffee. Yeah. And that's the part that sometimes makes me feel like I'm not a real artist is that. It's so icky mm. to put on your hat and say, I've got to go sell this coffee. But the truth is, up until the moment you put on the hat to go sell the coffee, you're a hobbyist. Yeah, It's a job when you do the thing you don't like, which is sell it. Mm. And you're selling and yourself.
1: So th- and that's, it is icky. It's
0: And that's why another, a lot of people yeah. use stage names and wear crazy outfits. And Dolly Parton the character. has big boobs in the hair. Like they do a character because... It's so upsetting <laughs> to have it be you. And I tried. I tried dropping my last name for a while and just going by Casey. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, as much as I tried to distance myself from it, I was writing songs about my exact life. Like mm-hmm. I just wrote a song and I talked to my producer and I was like, we're going to, we can't put this out for like two years. Everyone's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like I wrote, something happens and I wrote a song about it and I was like, I can't put this out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as much as I could change my name all I wanted, but I'm writing so intensely about what I'm experiencing that it felt really, I just, I went back to Case McPillan. It felt I was trying to run from that thing, that feeling Yeah, that I was selling myself. I was trying to pretend that that's not what I was doing, but it is.
1: I think the authenticity side of things is just so like we feel it and we see it in artists. I, I was trying to work out what it was about the artists that I really like that they have in common because I like so many different types of music mm-hmm. and I got down to it. It's like I feel like I like these people not because they have great songs or whatever it is but I feel like they're being really authentic to who they are and how they feel and they're sharing that with truth. And that's you know who's like, like a really funny example
0: that. of that that you wouldn't expect? Doja Cat. She's yeah. blown up. Do you know who that is? Is she in most is she kind of in Australia yet? Well,
1: I haven't heard of her, but then I don't listen to
0: She's like an R&B dance pop artist. Yeah. All of her stuff is entertainment music, right? Yeah. But like it it's so seamless. She it doesn't it strikes me as very authentic that that's what she's making and writing and 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 producing and working on it's Her whole thing matches the energy. Or similarly, Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is an entertainer artist, as in he's not trying to... Blurt his heart out with the songs that he's writing. He's trying to entertain you. Yeah. But it feel I can feel that he likes the music. He's, he's having like, fun. I can feel yeah. it through the songs. And so I really like it. And so songs don't have to be dark in order to be authentic. Mm. I think they can be authentic if you can just feel that that's what that person wanted to make. Yeah. And so they made it, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's that's what's fun It's like you think uh, yeah you feel like that person really wanted to make that song and they're having so much fun doing it and well done because that is hard that's the hard thing to do It's like I think we're all creative we all want to do things but actually doing it it so many people go oh no no one will like it or what's the point or like that we have to fight that mental battle and like I love talking to other songwriters who are, who are artists who are out there actually doing it and like you said pushing their their music. You have you know you've overcome that barrier that everyone has of am I good enough? Am I worth sharing this? Is this a gift that needs to be given to the world?
0: Sometimes you know? <laughs> Sometimes whatever. I'm at the place where I just tell myself I'm act- I'm not doing anyone active harm. That's like <laughs> I just tell myself I tell myself all the time I'm like yeah. you're not important. Calm down. <laughs> like, I, I am I. You know, oh my god. Like, am I doing enough? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? If she, yeah, I'm not. I'm not hurting anyone. I think, and I think I'm helping some people. Mm. And people say that it's a. Some people say I help them a lot. Even if I'm helping them like marginally, that's good. And. Feeling guilty about the fact that I get to be a singer-songwriter doesn't help anybody. No. And it just you I'm just it. not that Im-, I'm just not that important. It's okay. Um someone is gonna write songs and pitch them. It's me. I'm doing it. That's a comp complicated you know, it's complicated this idea that, you know, I saw a TikTok recently that was like so many children, like people that come from money, children of like these billionaires whatever, whatever. Right? Mm. So many of them make, make art as their living as what they do with their day every day. Mm. And, and you can look at it like, Oh, all these rich kids don't want to have a real job. Or you could look at it like the natural human state is spending your life making art and trying to connect with people and express yourself. And, it can be, and that it, the goal should have everyone having more access to that. Yeah. As opposed to hating ourselves, that we're the people that get to do it.
1: Absolutely, I think we should be inspiring each other to be more creative. Like I, I love it when someone starts up a podcast and they want to do it, and they ask me questions because it's like great because it's a form of expression and it's artistic mm-hmm. and it's creative. Um, and same with and songwriting. It's brave. Songwriting or well. No, I don't care. <laughs> I, I,
0: think I it's love brave. it. Thank you. I think it's very brave. I think this idea that you go out and you say, "I think it would be a good podcast," yes. is. I think artists, in this sense, don't give themselves enough credit. Yeah, that that's actually the barrier for people. So I'm yeah. sure you've you've had this where people say quippy things to you. Me and my family call it Casey Bingo at a party. <laughs> Where it's like all the thing, all the stereotypical things people say to me. And it's mm-hmm. like, if I'm hitting my limit, I'll be like, bingo. And I'll be like, I can't <laughs> fucking take this anymore. Okay. And Casey bingo is, <laughs> is generally people, people's shock and deep discomfort that I would choose such an unstable future, one. That's the one they talk about. They are, they're able to um, vocalize mm-hmm. that they're really uncomfortable with the fact that my future is uncertain. They could never do that. How could anybody do that? That kind of thing. But I think the, the thing that they, it's actually much more intense and they're, they're less aware of it is they are so fucking panicked that I'm out here saying, I think I could do it. Mm-hmm. I think I am good enough. I don't think I'm the best one, but I think I'm one of the best ones. Like I think if there's a million best ones, I'm one of them Mm. and that's enough and I'm going to go for it. And people are so uncomfortable with standing up in front of the world and Mm. saying, I think I might be one of the best ones. Can I try to be one of the best ones? I think I'm good enough. That's another, I think I'm good enough. And that's another piece of, advice that I give young female singer songwriters I say when you sing your songs is it generally because people have begged you to sing it or because you've begged to sing so if it takes a family party where your mom and your grandma and your uncle are like no no it's so good no you have to listen oh my god no I don't want to sing it no you have to you have to go come on sing for us sing for us sing for us and then you get out and then everyone quiets down and everyone sits around and then you sing your song and then everybody claps and you find that that's the only times that you perform, this is not the (laughs) life for you. Run, run. No one will ask to hear you ever again. Your mother wants to hear your songs and no one else cares at all until they hear it. Then they'll care. Mm. Maybe,
1: maybe. But some, if some
0: you're not if you're not willing to yell and stop traffic and mm. say my song now, let's listen to my song now. And I don't mean with your family and friends because I have a difficult. I'm cuddling I, enough, I never let people play my songs at like my friends play my songs at parties. I don't like listening to it social setting. It's weird. <laughs> it it's makes weird. me really uncomfortable because if somebody like even coughs, I'm like they're not listening. They hate it. Like I yeah. just get in my head. Yeah. But like I was on this this James tour, and I was the first of three, which I don't know if any many of your listeners would know like what that means. But it means that I went on, and then somebody more famous than me went on, and then James went on. So I was the little runt that came on at the top of the show, right? Yeah, as people are but still arriving, like, <laughs> a lot of people are still arriving. Luckily, it was like a seated royal theaters. It was this. It was a really stunning experience because it was a it was a they were theaters like you would go see. Wow. The opera. And so oh, they wow. were, um, it was stunning. I'll send you some pics. It was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> um, but, you know, it wasn't um, a drunken bar where yeah. I had to get up. Yeah. But I went out there and they're all British, which and Americans are loud. British people are, they're so funny. They're so are <laughs> a lot of them are reserved. Some parts of the country in the north are not, but in the southern, south UK, they're, they're, they're reserved. And I, I cut my teeth doing this anti-bullying program in schools. So I take some of the songs I wrote when I was a kid mm-hmm. that happened to deal with bullying and growing up. I wrote about everything and I have some songs from when I was a child that deal with it. Yeah. And I cut my teeth playing for hundreds of schools over 40,000 kids. I did it constantly. That's so cool. And the thing about going to a high school is they hate you. And they don't want to admit that they like you because that's not cool. Liking things isn't cool. hmm and I literally learned to perform playing for 700 high schoolers who have never heard of me. I can't, that is about the most difficult performance environment you could be in. Mm, and in I learned, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but the a difficult one where you have an option of succeeding, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where there's a possibility of a good outcome. Um, and I learned that utter presence is required. You have to be so, comically ready to go but in a way I always acknowledge as an opener that it's funny that I'm the opener like I'm always acknowledging that it's that they were not expecting me that we're here we're doing it got you guys for the next half hour so let's get this ball rolling because we are doing it And I treat it like a high school like I corral assemblies of like what I say to kids is listen you don't know who I am but you're not in math class so yeah. you're welcome. And I know in my, when I when I play for a difficult school, one of my lines that came to me now I use, but it came to me very naturally in a moment of of need. Yeah, was I played for this high school, and it was the first high school I'd ever played. I played for middle school, which is like kids ten through thirteen, much easier. High mm. school in America is like fourteen through eighteen, much harder. Yeah. And I played for high school where it was predominantly um, children of color. I was one of the only white people like, in the auditorium, wow. which is something I always take into account. That, like, I'm somebody coming in, I don't appear to have shared experiences, Like I extra need to earn their respect, right? Yeah, and so uh, this, this the principal introduced me to this like group of like 700 800 kids, yeah, and they talked right over her they didn't even remotely pause to listen to her and I was like okay okay like we're in it and my mom's backstage like being like oh my god I'm like and I get really calm though before performances and I was like I've got it and I went out (laughs) and I said the thing math class whatever and I said but you don't know me and you don't respect me and I understand that why would you I said so I'm gonna make a deal with you I'm gonna sing this cover song that I sang on American Idol and I said, and if I'm not the best singer you've ever heard, you don't have to pay attention for the rest of the assembly. I said, but if I am the best singer you've ever heard, you have to pay attention. And the kids kind of sat back and were like, okay. Yeah. And I did the best version of this song that I ever did in my life. <laughs> and it ended up being genuinely one of the top five shows of my life. The kids were amazing. They gave me standing ovations in between each song and then would sit down to like listen to what I was Aww. having to sing. And the truth is, right, I wasn't the best singer they'd ever heard. No. I was really good. I showed up for myself. Yeah. But it was, I, I, I was telling them, I expect to have to earn yeah. your attention. I did not walk onto this stage thinking I deserve mm. your attention. And that is how I have treated performance since then. I walked onto the James stage and told the crowd through my actions and my choices and my energy. I understand. I have to earn your attention. Yeah. I do not expect you to give it to me. I don't want it out of politeness. Actually. Mm -hmm. I want it out of you being impressed. I do not want polite attention. I want wrapped attention. And. What I started doing at the James Store because again it's just natural because the energy in the room it, 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 the shows what's so great it was amazing and I would go to take a selfie with the, with everybody after have them put the stage up like, because these beautiful rooms yeah. and I would say to the audience okay guys on the count of three pretend you came to see me and it would be like turn around <laughs> and people thought it was so funny because it was an acknowledgement of like you like this we just had a great time yeah but you're not here to see me. You weren't expecting that that. yeah. <laughs> you weren't expecting The fact that I'm asking you to take a photo with you is kind of funny because you yeah. didn't come here to see me. And I found that that, it, but it, that's, vulner, that's vulnerable, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's vulnerable it's honest. To, to say out loud. And I found that, you know, and every once in a while on a Saturday night, people were kind of drunk and chatted a little bit during the show. But overarchingly, I've been incredibly lucky with my, my opening slots that they've been so receptive, but I also think I have a lot of experience in playing to crowds that don't know me. And um, I like, that's why I like, I really want to get into the festival scene. Cause I think I'd be <laughs> like that. because I think yeah. I've heard that like some artists have trouble with that because it's their first time they're playing to crowds that didn't come to see them. Yeah. And it can be off putting.
1: Mm. I think it's, I think know? it's a great skill and it's, it is, I know we've talked about humbling, but having such a great, positive attitude and not expecting or, or being I guess narcissistic which some artists can be in the sense of how do you not know who I am kind of attitude of just like hey this is what I want to do I'm going to share what I love and me having I'm fun the opposite. you know and when then... people
0: know who I am I'm just shocked yeah <laughs> I'm shocked yeah me too I'm like, wait how do you know me What wrong Oh, somebody yeah. came who had listened to me on a podcast, came to one of the James shows and came up to the merch table and I was, cause in the UK, nobody knows. Like I don't have any fan base in the UK, yeah, yeah. but I was doing press in the UK while I was over there and she had heard it. And I've like, I don't think I've ever been so excited in my life. I was like, you need to te- you need to go up to the stage after the- at the end of James's show and tell him that you came to see me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yes. he knows one. I sold one ticket.
1: Adds value to <laughs> the, the buy-in. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Can you send Can you send me forty nine ninety nine back, please? Thank <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> yeah, refunds. Um, <laughs> I-, I actually, I have this one question that I like to ask people in the podcast, and it's the last official question that I always ask. If you could collaborate with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
0: It would be Taylor Swift. 100%. I would, I would literally genuinely give up a kidney to (laughs) work with Taylor Swift. I think I mean that. (laughs) You don't need your kidneys. Um, That's fine. Exactly. You only need one. Right. I think she is in the pop genre. I think she's, I think she's the most prolific, important songwriter of our entire generation. I have, I am, you will never convince me that it isn't because she's a woman that people don't realize that she is the Bob Dylan, the Beatles of our time. She is, pop music is whatever she does Mm. for the next two years, whatever she does now, that's what it is. Her lyrics, she has the ability to engage incredibly simply and knock you over mm. or incredibly poetically that you have to listen to it and, and, and actively engage with the lyrics for hours before you feel like you fully understand what she's saying. She does both. She does it consciously. She switches between doing those things consciously. Her recent albums where she inhabited the bodies of other people and made songs about those people's experiences that aren't her but I don't say she didn't write about other people she became other people and wrote their songs yeah. she's unbelievable I will die on this hill <laughs> my my biggest my biggest dating question I ask guys is guys ask me all the time on dates who's your favorite uh, uh, musician because they're always think they have a better answer and I never date musicians so they never know what we're talking about um <laughs> and I judge them based on their reaction to me saying Taylor Swift oh. because if they're yes obviously if they say oh my god yeah she's great I love her great if they say oh really I've never listened to her why do, why do you like her so much totally fine like if you're like I've never listened but you have a degree in songwriting and a professional songwriter so I'm curious about your opinion hmm. totally great but if a guy goes oh Oh, really? Taylor Swift?
1: <laughs> Bye-bye. And they're like, I
0: just, to, I just listened to T-Pain or I never dumped it. I'm like, it, it is it is so amazing to me. I genuinely feel lucky that I was born right around her age, that I'm going to get to experience all of the art she's ever put out. This could be like a Taylor Swift fan, fan podcast, <laughs> but anybody who hasn't listened to her most, most recent albums... I would strongly recommend um going and giving it another listen because some of her more radio stuff which i actually think is all very well done mm. if that's not for you if super pop curated music isn't what you enjoy which is totally fair. i don't really listen to her most pop songs almost that means you will like her album tracks. Um, yeah, cool. She's. I think she's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. No, I've never heard anyone give it, put that spin on it, and like I've definitely watched the documentary stuff, and yeah, she's she's incredible in all of those whiteboard areas that you talked about. Like, just
0: <laughs> you, can,
1: you can tell that it's it's she's all done. Calvin really Klein well.
0: modeling. She, When she was like 15 and getting into the industry, she did Calvin Klein modeling. That was because the most talented songwriter of our generation, they put on the whiteboard and they said, well, she's really pretty and tall and thin. We should get her into modeling. Like there is a standard way that we do. We market individuals to become brands themselves. Yeah. You
1: know, and we're all a brand and we should think about that when we make decisions. And sometimes we don't and that's okay. Yeah, I know it's exhausting. We have one minute left. So I'm going to give it over to you. Is there anything else you would like to share? I'm going to put your links and everything like that in the description of the podcast and the blog on the website.
0: So something I tell people, because, again, I'm learning there's some things people don't really realize, is yes, it would be amazing if you follow me on Instagram and Facebook or whatever those social sites are that you use, but the best thing you can do to help a new musician outside of buying concert tickets to see them is give them a follow, a follow on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, whatever it is that you use. It really helps the algorithms realize people want to hear anything I put out. Mm. And that's the best thing. That's the number one thing I ask people. Um, And since I started being vulnerable and asking for that on stage, my follows went from like 50 a night to like 400 a night at these James shows. So that would be my ask. Please follow me and my website's listenatkc.com. Come hang out with me. Cool. Well, thank you so
1: much for joining me. I really appreciate the huge amount of time you've spent. Um, And you are an amazing talker as well as singer and you are beautiful. So you are a triple threat.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you, sweetie.
1: But I want to support you and uh, I'll definitely be following and stay in touch.
0: Thanks, hun. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.
1: Bye. thanks for joining our songwriter Trist today to join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts you can follow us on Facebook LinkedIn Instagram and Twitter please leave a review and subscribe to support the podcast or contact me or our guest please go to the website songwriterrists.com crowd no one can hear me with